Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Jessica Zwan, HR thought leader, panelist, speaker, author, and chief operating officer at Whereby. Jessica is a startup and technology executive with a background in operations, people, and talent spanning across three continents, and she's a self-described hands-on COO with a passion for diverse, kind, and world-changing companies of incredible people. She joined the fully remote video meeting company Whereby as their chief operating officer in 2020, and she has previously served as chief people and operations advisor for a number of startups across Europe, was group head of talent at McCann World Group, and VP people and talent at Wonderbly. She's now based in New York City and in May 2023, released a book built for HR professionals and business leaders appropriately titled Built for People, where she explains how to improve workforce and business performance by developing a people-centric way of working, evidence-based decision-making, and a culture of continuous feedback and iteration. We're fortunate to have Jessica join us today, and I'm excited to explore her unique product management approach to leading people and learn more about her book, but let's first get her introduced. So Jessica, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it is great to have you. Excited to get you on here and introduce you to our audience and really dig into this people-centric product management approach that you're using to lead people and really changing the way we're thinking of people operations. But before we do that, let's get you introduced to our audience a bit. So if you don't mind starting us off and share what led you to pursuing a career built around talent and people operations? What was your spark? What got you started there? Uh, okay, so well, hmm. I studied journalism and communications in Australia, and I was all set to be a book publisher. That was my plan. And this was like the kind of 2009 financial crisis time. The world was an uncertain place, much like today. Um, and I was offered like a couple of opportunities after university, one of which was uh, at Cambridge University Press in Melbourne. And another one was in BHP Billiton in the HR team. I ultimately picked the HR route for a couple of reasons. I think I come from a family where I'm the first generation university educated person. So for my family, they were just so pleased that I had finished university that they're like, you're done with like your life. You've got a job and then you're going to get a house and then you just can do whatever you like, stay where you are for the rest of your life. Um, there's, there's a big, there's a big message there around like security, getting something that you stayed in for a long time. And also the book industry was really struggling at that, that period. So I made the decision and for a couple of other embarrassing, like 21 year old child reasons as well, but I made the decision to take the role at BHP and HR. And I just, I actually ended up really loving it. Like, I'm really glad that I made the decision. I think it was the right decision for me. Um, and then I've just built my career since then, kind of broadening my role over the years and learning more about it. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to get us started then. And, and that idea that, again, what maybe you had planned to do fresh out of university, fresh out of college, isn't where you ultimately ended up. But that's, again, the beauty of life. And sometimes you find new discoveries along the way. I'd say going into 2020, our idea of the employee experience probably wasn't exactly where we ended up now in 2023. So starting there, I mean, how has the employee experience from your perspective changed since 2020? Gosh, it's changed 
more in the last couple of years than it has in the previous, like, say, eight years of my career, really, which I'm sure is not a unique answer, right? Like, we had some really, really amazing, like, productive things happen. We had the COVID pandemic, obviously, was horrific in terms of personal losses and just so much across the world was was thrown into a kind of sense of chaos and destruction. But there were some things that came out of that, I think, that really highlighted for individuals the importance of flexibility and work-life balance, remote working, of course, now so widely adopted. Um, I think rather than me just list off all the things I think most people would list off, right? Like economic turmoil, COVID, remote working. I'll tell you something that I think was really interesting that I heard on a podcast during 2020, which I think is kind of a nice summary of the way that people's internal shift changed, which then ended up impacting how people demanded and expected to be treated at work and the way that employers responded back to people. Um, so listening to this podcast about the fact that people's lives is like a cake, right? You've got three layers of Victoria sponge. Um, and then on the outside, you have all this beautiful icing and like candy and fruit, whatever. So the three layers of Victoria sponge are the place that you choose to live, the people that you choose to be around. So your partner, your loved one, your family, and the thing that you do every day, your job, sensibly. And then all of the icing, all of the fruit, all of the trimmings, that is like the gym you go to and the, if you have a Soho House membership and whether or not you like wandering around the streets of New York shopping, like that's all the stuff you fill your days with that keep you kind of occupied. And what COVID did in 2020 was it basically scraped away all the icing and just left people with this blank cake. And people all of a sudden had to start really thinking like, these three massive decisions I've made in my life, where am I, who do I love and what am I doing? They had to completely reassess because it was just naked. Like you, you were just left with those choices. And I think it really shook a lot of people into some really dramatic action where they either realized they loved everything about their life and how grounded and centered they felt or realized they needed to change one, two or three of those things and like dramatically shake up their lives. So following that period, we had people kind of mass withdrawing from the workforce and starting to go back into creative industries or go back to study. We had people wanting to shift and move around and move remotely. Um, and of course we had disruption in people's personal lives as well. They want to spend more time with their family and have more flexibility. But I think that mindset shift ultimately drove this big change around how we have to think about employee experience, because honestly, I think people's priorities really started changing and people started realizing that that cake that they built was actually the most important thing in their lives. And they're, they just it wasn't being prioritized that way, I think, before 2020 for a lot of people. I love that, Jessica. And that is, that is such a great analogy and, and a really cool way to look at it. But that idea of just being able to strip down to the essentials of the, the cake, your, your three core layers, and see, again, where you stand with that. Are you really happy? Are you achieving everything you wanted to achieve? Again, pulling away all the additional pieces, the, the icing, the frosting there to see what you were left with. I think it was essential and really changed that employee mindset and the employee experience. And as you mentioned, the relationship between employees and employers is part of that too. Um, expectations by employees, but also uh, how organizations wanted to build their culture to create and support their employees who were looking for that better way of doing things, that ultimate happiness. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that that change for a lot of people drove a really positive shift in many people's lives, which is you know, I mean, I also had a big change, right? Like so many of us did. Did you change anything in your cake or did you realize you were set? 
Absolutely. I mean, I I come from the sports media world and have since joined into human resources and just learning a a total different approach to creating content, to managing teams. Again, so much has changed in my life from from pre-2020 to post. And just the approach and the way to look at what's important, I think, has certainly put things into a different perspective. And you take that into your working world. Yeah. And again, that doesn't mean that you do anything to a, a lesser degree, but you just do things and you approach things differently. Totally. I think also maybe they get to stretch the analogy beyond what is comfortable or even makes sense. I think people also realize that they probably were investing different amounts of time or they had different size layers or whatever we want to say, where, you know, some people realize actually that they wanted to invest more time into uh, their family or they wanted to spend more time like enjoying the place that they worked. Like I know a lot of people that for them, the shift to remote working was really driven by this like internal desire to be in a place where they felt more connected to their community, for example. And that has repercussions on their their jobs because they want to start working remotely. Maybe they love their job, but they just need it to change. Um, so yeah, I think there was a, there's a, there was a lot of, there was a massive shift then and it had huge repercussions. And I think all these other things we're talking about, like, you know, the great resignation and remote working and everything else, all these other things that I'm sure many other people have mentioned, if you continuously ask that question, I think they are symptomatic, really, of that huge mindset shift that happened. Yeah, I love that you gave us something different there with that response. Thank you for that, Jessica. That was a unique response to that one and gave us something really great to dig into. And I appreciate you even asking me how my experience changed. But looking at that new approach or that modified approach to the employee experience that 2020 created the opportunity for organizations to explore comes this this new approach that I want to dig into with you, that idea of a product management approach. And as I mentioned at the start, you've got a background in startup and technology. So this really leans on that industry mindset. Can you explain that concept of a, a product management approach and really how it applies to people operations functions at organizations? Yeah. So this has come out of my experience working in startups and tech. Over time I've kind of developed this opinion that every company is built a, building three products at any one time. You have the product you're selling to your customers. So that's like video communications or raises. And that is built pretty diligently by like your product management team, um, your product development team, whoever whoever's working in that space. Then you have this investment vehicle that is very often pretty much exclusively worked on by your EMT or executive team. And that is really because your your business is a financial instrument, whether or not you think about that on a daily basis. Um, and that investment vehicle has a real tangible value as a product out there in the market to, you know, if you wanted to get into private equity and be purchased or whether you want to have investment coming through from a VC, or even if you honestly are just bootstrapping and you hopefully one day would like to go through like an acquisition, it is a financial instrument that you're also building. That's a product itself. And then you have this final product, which is the one that I'm, of course, talking about, which is the product that your employees subscribe to. So I see the employee experience as a subscription product. Uh, like, you know, raises being delivered to your home every month or a wine subscription box. And every single month, consciously or not, your employees continue to subscribe to that product until the day that they hand in their resignation and say, we're churning, we're leaving the product. So if you break down those stages, it actually looks really similar to the same kind of way a product team would develop and design the whole flow from awareness right down to onboarding, managing, upselling, if you're thinking about like promotions, for example, promotions are basically an upsell. You're taking somebody on board that's subscribing to your wine box and then saying like, you could do more, we could offer you more. And then in turn, we're of course, give you a salary. But that that is essentially a company saying that we're going to be able to get more out of this customer of our employee experience. And that requires a mutual agreement between the two of them to have that happen. 
So using that analogy, I've been able to kind of shift all of the teams that I work with's mindset into really thinking about that as a core product that they're developing rather than just a series of kind of interconnected administrative processes or uh, kind of just a, a nebulous culture. It really is a product that you have to develop iteratively and kind of ship the same way as a product team would. Oh, that is such a cool approach. And again, that, that subscription product mindset makes so much sense. I think on a regular basis, you've got employees assessing, is this product that I'm invested in worth it? Um, am I getting out of it what I'm putting into it? Again, whether it's a, a media subscription, uh, it could yeah. be, a, again, a streaming account, or it could be your employer and, and where you're working and what you're putting into that. That's a great comp. That's a great analogy that you created there, building that that product mindset into the people space. So how does that product management approach really differ from maybe other people-centric approaches that we've seen classically championed by the HR community? You know, when you sent these questions over, I had a read and I was thinking people-centric, what does that mean? Like I'm a nosy person, as I'm sure you can probably already slightly tell from this call. And it's one of those things that I see around a lot and I see kind of mentioned and I think about it. And then today, well, not today, but you know, a couple of days ago, you sent me these questions and I was like, Hmm, if I answer this question, I have to actually understand what I'm talking about rather than just have an idea of what this is. So I went and read some stuff. What is people-centric? What do people mean when they talk about that? And I couldn't really find like a cohesive definition that I personally was like, ah, that feels like that's what everyone's talking about. So my question back to you is I'd love you to define to me, what what do you think when you when people are talking about this people-centric approach, like what does that mean? Yeah, I look at people-centric, really putting the employee first yep. in terms of, of meeting their needs, creating an environment that employees want to stay in. Mm. So maybe, as, as again, you're explaining the product management approach, there may be a lot of similarities in that, in creating that user experience yeah. that is worthwhile, that, that feels beneficial. Completely. I think if that's the definition we're going through, which I think is a good one, by the way, I think that the um, Highbob team also wrote an article where they kind of talk about the same kind of, that's that's almost their definition of people-centric yeah. approach as well, like formally. I think the one may be slight difference. I think obviously they're very similar in that they're putting a, the human being at the end of what you're building as a people person at the core of the, I, the conception and the deployment, right? Like you're basically building something that is actually fit for humans rather than just fit for the company, which is... Clearly, that's a very big similarity. I would say one minor difference is I split the people operations role into two core tasks, right? You've got this one half, which I call human operations, which actually sounds very similar to the idea of people centricity. It is where your, your HR team should spend a fair portion of their time coaching people, advising them, understanding their individual circumstances, and taking that really qualitative feedback and that experience and giving it back to the people team in some form. Now, this doesn't mean like sharing confidential inf information that's not appropriate, but you know, if we're seeing a, a general trend of people really struggling in the first three months of their employment with the team, like you know, we're feeding that trend back. Um, that is the work that you actually, you need a human being to do that. Like no AI is gonna do it, no uh, like chat GPT, well, at least not at the moment, who knows how things go in a couple of years. But at the moment, like a human being is the person that if you, you know, if you've just found out you're pregnant and want to have a conversation with somebody confidentially about what this means for you, then that's a human. You don't want to talk to a chatbot about that. If you are going through grief at work and you are struggling with your workload, like that's a human. If you 
aren't performing very well and you need some really direct feedback from somebody that will be honest with you that 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 needs to be a human being and that's what human ops is and that's still a huge part of the role right the other half of the role is this like people operations kind of products thing and this is much more about not thinking about the human but thinking about the collective how do we take all of that quantitative feedback and qualitative feedback that we collect and build products which serve those problems people are having in a cohesive collective way so we're not constantly trying to be reactive to small individual needs of course we're still there for people but we are building things which almost like I say mechanizes the process of looking after groups of people rather than HR having to be the people that are constantly involved in all of these conversations so that we can spend more time giving people the time that we need when they need it most. Right. Yeah. You're putting process and procedure into the human aspect. You're, you're again, finding efficiencies through doing that, which really is, has been the biggest benefit I've seen with introducing technology into the HR role is that it opens up opportunity for teams, for HR professionals, for HR leaders to lean on that human aspect more because the other pieces are streamlined, are more efficient. It seems like that product management approach is identifying and creating some efficiencies or at least putting some process into place that solidifies the operation. Yeah, precisely. I think it's just, it's trying to balance those two things, trying to, maybe it's like somewhere in between, you know, I'm, I'm really not a fan of like the centers of excellence model, or like the Ulrich model anymore. I find them all a little um, long in the tooth, shall we say. But I do think that there is some similarities with how like systemized the work is that I try to do that tries to retain that real people centricity, as you say. What I loved in preparing here and learning more about Built for People, your book, and again, just in the people-centric but product management approach, um, is that idea of the feedback loop. Again, something that's very common in the product world, but introducing that into the HR space and how that can be useful for creating teams and feedback. We oftentimes talk about feedback as being important, and that's certainly something we've seen come to prominence. Back to that idea of what is people-centric. That idea mm. that you can lean on on feedback to be so essential to, to meet your employees where they are. So yeah. looking at it through the lens of a feedback loop, where are teams most commonly seeing that break in their feedback? <laughs> I get to kind of be in my bonnet about feedback. Um, I'm sure, have you worked in a place where you feel like the people team just sends you like endless surveys? Like Absolutely. so many surveys. It is exhausting. I love the desire from people teams to get feedback. And I think the way that they're doing it is maybe only half-baked sometimes. It sounds horrible to say, but it's it's kind of true. If you If you look at a product team and how they develop feedback, they have such an incredible kind of multifaceted research-orientated approach to gathering insights from customers. They call them insights. Um, and you'll have like a user research run use a research interviews with individuals and sit down and say, if I gave you this piece of software, if I gave you this uh, product I'm building, like how would you interact with it? What do you think about it? What do you like? What do you not like? Gathering all that feedback, recording the interview, sometimes even like running that interview through other people to get their own insights. Then you have, of course, there's some surveys as well that go into that to get real quantitative information. And generally you'll find the surveys are pretty well designed. They're very much designed around gathering quantitative information and quantitative inputs and not having these huge kind of fields of like any other feedback which is you know generally a little unhelpful and then they'll run uh kind of group sessions as well and do this iterative feedback approach and they'll gather all of these things together they'll have a research session they'll gather these insights that are connected and grounded in the evidence that they've developed and then they will produce problem statements or things that they'd like to tackle or hypotheses from that 
I find that the people team often does like one box within that and says like, okay, right, we're going to send out a survey. They try to mush all of those things into one big place. How do you feel about the performance management process? Big box for open feedback. People put all this feedback in and then bless them. And for reasons that I completely understand, we all get this feedback and we don't know really what to do with it because it feels overwhelming or it feels kind of like it didn't really hit the spot or people didn't really get the questions or people kind of decided to use those boxes for other feedback that they had because they haven't had feedback on the things they really want to give feedback on. And then it turns into kind of a self-collapsing feedback mechanism because individuals would like that feedback, those insights to come back to them. And it very rarely does because the people team doesn't know what to do with it. So when I build a people team, I really like to build, you know, what you've described as a feedback loop in which is these consistent places where the teams know that they can be expected to give feedback in really clear ways. And that feedback will be gathered and collected to create insights during quarterly retrospectives. And those insights will form hypotheses and hypotheses will turn into products. So outcomes to solve problems the team are having. And I'll do that through a range of different ways. I will have uh, some surveys, often very pointed. I'm a big fan of like a RAND survey with 12 set questions, yes or no, not a lot of extra fluff. Um, I will run pretty regular design sessions with teams, managers, and individuals and sit down with them and say, what do you think about this policy? What makes sense? What doesn't? We will run sessions where we give people a tool and just watch them interact with it. We give somebody like, say, a set of questions about performance and say, well, you know, interact with these questions, write what you think the feedback is and actually see how they go about it. Like, do they make sense of it? Um, and then, of course, lots and lots of qualitative feedback from interviews. I constantly have one-to-ones with everybody in the team. I try to do one-to-ones with everyone in the entire company, like on a rolling consistent basis. I ask similar kind of set questions and I encourage my whole people team to do the same. And then we gather all of that every quarter, collect the insights and then solve those hypotheses together rather than rely on one survey every year. And you're bringing the human element into some of that data gathering as well. So you've got a structure, you've got a process that can keep you efficient, but then you still have, as you mentioned, the one-on-ones, which can open up to new opportunities to learn about the employee experience, see what people are going through, see their feedback that can come off of more than just, again, answering a, a survey or putting 200 characters into a, a response box. Um, you can actually have that one-on-one time too. And, and bringing that all into and, co- and combining all those together to really get you to solutions and find new ways to create that employee experience that is more subscription-based and, and product-focused and creates just that ultimately positive experience that I think all organizations are looking for and certainly all people teams are looking for. Yeah, it's definitely more laborious. Sure, oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny, the, the, the places I get pushback on in the book that I've written and what I suggest people do, it's like, well, I don't have time to do user research, I don't have time to do these interviews, I don't have time to do these things. But what we st- kind of prioritize instead is these really long development cycles where, I mean, I, I have definitely worked in businesses like this where the HR team will go away and say, we'll, we've had some feedback, Lord knows where from, maybe it was from a big survey. We need to review our benefits. So for a, six months or a year, they'll be away, squirreling away, negotiating new benefits packages, doing the whole thing. A year later, they come out, here's the new benefits package for everybody. And they wonder why people don't really want to take up maybe some of the benefits that they thought they would maybe people are kind of have some negative responses maybe people don't really understand it or engage with it well why not well you've wasted actually a lot more time by spending an hour shift like sending this thing out where you could have spent maybe three four months really diligently collecting feedback iterating on the different options then taking them back to people and said if we've got these two different choices which would be more appealing to you which usp do you fall within developing some hypotheses you may actually still ship the thing in the same amount of time, but it would just 
the the steps between that would feel longer. Right. Well, and that's the feedback loop you're creating as well, where again, you're bringing it back into your workforce and getting more feedback out of that to where you can get the end goal closer to a mutually beneficial final spot. Yeah, exactly. That's the aim. Instead of just, again, take, taking the feedback, running with it, fully building it out and then bringing it back out to the market, you may totally. have missed the mark and that market might have changed. Completely. That's exactly right. Yeah. Things change so quickly and nothing is ever set, right? Like every single thing you build is unbuilt the day you ship it, basically. Sure. Like it's already old. It's already deprecated two days after it's done. And that's the mindset you need to get into is like this. It's a constant iterative effort, right? I love that. Looking at just better ways for HR and people operations teams to operate and really find efficiencies. What's one element that you see most commonly overlooked or missed when teams are building and trying to work toward that efficient but impactful employee experience, creating that product management subscription focused employee experience, but one that ultimately is worthwhile? Uh, what are they missing? What's the one thing you, that jumps out to you? I think the kind of leading indicator for me for a really good people team is a people team that's able to think in outputs rather than inputs. So what do I mean by that? Uh, often I find that people teams that struggle to ship really meaningful pieces of work or meaningful products, whatever you'd like to call them, they set their like quarterly goals or their uh, aspirations for the next year or their roadmap around like create a conversation framework, launch new newsletter, rather than solve the problem of why X people do Y or improve our employee lifetime value by 10%. If you start thinking about things as an output, so this is what we're trying to improve by whatever we build. First of all, you're more likely to be creative about actually coming up with solutions that genuinely solve the problem rather than being kind of mindset locked onto a solution that you've shipped before or you liked at another company or you read a Medium article about. Um, and you're actually more able to like genuinely affect the thing you want to affect, right? Like you're actually trying to reach an outcome, not just like the outcome should never be launch a policy like why why are we launching a policy what are we trying to change who are we trying to impact and then it's like a kind of tiny sub point to that i also it irks me a little when teams set output metrics around their own personal efficiencies and preferences there are definitely places where that's appropriate and i i think i i do it from time to time like you know improve payroll efficiency by 10 percent or whatever that's no problem but if you're constantly reviewing how you work to make it easier and easier and easier and easier on the people team. I really do believe that that the kind of output of that has to go somewhere. And either right. you are now starting to like make things slightly more difficult for others, or you're missing great opportunities to make the employee experience better at the sacrifice of making your own HR team more and more efficient. I think there's a real balance there. Yeah. It's getting away from just having that tunnel vision. Again, focus is important, but you've got to also be open to seeing again what opportunities may be able to be introduced in there as well. That's back to that feedback loop idea too, of not expecting one final goal, but being able to introduce other aspects, other demands, or just other needs along the way and modifying that as you go. It's that idea of flexibility, which I mean, that's, that's certainly something we've learned more about in the employee experience and just in the working world. Back to that initial question, flexibility is, is everything. It's key right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the world is changing so quickly, quicker than we could ever have imagined a sure. couple of years ago. It sounds like a tropey thing to say and probably is, but you know, it's like, there's a funny thing about, I, I've never, ever heard a product team say, we don't want to do this thing our customers want because it's not very good for our reporting. Like right. I've just never heard a product team say that you would churn off that product same day, right? Imagine if you emailed 
I don't know, Harry's Razors is one I usually use because everybody kind of knows Harry's Razors in the US anyway. If you emailed Harry's and said, we've been desperately asking for this feature and we'd love it, we would, I'd buy it tomorrow and there's 20,000 others of you. And then Harry's Razors said, well, it's actually not very good for our reporting to make that. Just go somewhere else. You'd be like, what? That's a crazy thing to say. Right. But people teams kind of get away with it and say, like, oh, we'd love to be able to offer this, but it would mess up our payroll process or it would mess up our ability to ship this thing in two months time. But it's not actually the right choice to make if that's how you're prioritizing things, I think. It's the philosophy of treating your employees like customers. Yeah, exactly. You would never tell your customer no. Now, to an extent, you've got to obviously have some guardrails to that when it's when it's a member of your workforce, but it's that mindset of trying to meet them where they are and meet those demands instead of, again, as you said, just turning it off completely. Yeah. That, that'll ultimately create a negative employee experience. Yeah, totally. And like when your employees stop trusting your HR teams actually there to help them, you're in a really dangerous spot, I think, personally. 100%. So looking at ways to improve the HR team process, and, and again, I always like to, with our podcast, give our audience just something they can take away as a even one nugget to say, hey, I can stop doing this or I can start doing this. Uh, what's one thing HR teams should start doing today to begin taking more of that product forward approach to leading their teams? I've kind of got two two things I think are interesting that we've already spoke about, or one thing I think is interesting we've already spoke about, but I'm going to kind of wrap it in something else I think you should do. So I've mentioned a couple of times the idea of a, like a quarterly retrospective, time when you spend together as a HR team, thinking about what you've done in the past, what works, what hasn't, the feedback you've gathered, how the team's felt about the ways that they've worked together and really gather, like, don't just get feedback from the business, but also feedback from your people team about what they've experienced and how they've found to work together. Within that retrospective process, really spend time gathering thoughts about like hypotheses that you want to solve that quarter. Like we believe that the reason so many people churn in the first three months is because our onboarding process is poor. Okay, great hypothesis. What can we do to try and prove if that is true or not true in the next couple of days or weeks? And then, then set goals that are based on output principles. So if you're, you're setting a retrospective and you're setting goals based on an output principle, you will turn into this machine that's constantly trying to identify problems that you can solve and improvements that you can make which requires a shift into this kind of new way of thinking, which again, we have touched on this idea of like things being this constantly iterable moving machine. You may build something and three months later, destroy it and start again, because it didn't quite solve the problem, or maybe you were slightly off base, or maybe the markets just changed. This happens, right? There's a CEO of a company that um, I know who is super brilliant, really smart guy. His name's Jordan. He is the CEO of seven shifts and he told me this little analogy, which I love, and I think it's really applicable to people teams. And he talks about it in terms of hospitality, right? There's like a waiter that every single day comes in and he moves the salt and pepper shakers to the middle of the table. And then the customers come in and they eat their meal and they move the salt and pepper shakers around the table, right? And then they leave. He goes over and he cleans the table and he moves the salt and pepper shakers back. And the end of the shift, he's probably done this 40 times because he's had 40 people come through and cycle through. And he complains to his boss, like, God, people, it would be so much easier in my life if people just like kept their tables clean and didn't to keep moving their salt and pepper shakers around. Like if they just put them back where they belonged, my life would be so much easier. And the manager says like, your job is to move those salt and pepper shakers back every single time. And the happier and gladder you do it, the better your job will be. People having a good time, coming and eating at your the restaurant, enjoying that space, that is the output of that is that they move things around. They change stuff. Just keep moving the salt and pepper shakers back to where they were. And I think that this is like something really interesting in the people team as well. So often the people team's like, oh, we just launched this performance process and people are already saying that they, they don't really like it or that you know, the, the OKRs have changed. 
move the salt and pepper shakers back happily. That's your job. That's what you're here to do. Give the hospitality back to your team um, and accept that it's iterative. And once you kind of take that mindset of my job is to move the salt and pepper shakers back to the center of the table, and that's what I'm here to do, I think things start becoming a little bit less begrudging because you're you're there and able to solve the problems that uh, exist elsewhere in the team. Right. It's a mindset shift, really, more than anything else, to look at having a more output-focused mindset. Yeah. And a kind of a bit of a service one as well. I think I like you know, the, cu- the customer piece, yeah. right? It's true. That, yeah, that, that's fantastic. It makes a lot of sense. And again, it, it is something that can be very simple. Just shift your mindset. That's free, too. That's not a uh, There's no cost associated with that piece, totally. which is always a good – who doesn't like something free to introduce into the workforce? So with that being said, I know – I mentioned at the start, you just released a book in May 2023, so uh, pretty fresh into the market, Built for People. Jessica, what would you like our audience to know about Built for People? Now's a great opportunity just to talk about the book, share what our audience can take away and why they should check it out. I am the worst at doing promotions for myself. I, if you've enjoyed the podcast, you probably will enjoy the book. That would be my suggestion. <laughs> if you haven't enjoyed the podcast, Maybe buy the book and see how you feel. Borrow it from somebody and then, you know, buy it if you like it. Um, I think the one thing I'd like to say is if you if you do read the book and you like the book or you dislike the book, or you have different ideas or you want to implement something, email me. I would really love everybody to do that. I love when people message me on LinkedIn saying they disagree with me or agree with me. I do believe that this is a collective methodology like there are a lot of people that are now starting to practice this way of working and we have a kind of i think someone's built a little linkedin crew around this kind of way of working and it's literally only better the more people are starting to think about it i love it so for our listeners out there i mean if you had to call out three benefits that you can really get out of adopting a more product focused mindset what would they be I think you will actually end up seeing real results within your business. I think that's one thing. You will really start solving actual problems. And that is one of the biggest frustrations a lot of people teams have is that they feel they're not solving problems that really exist or people aren't engaging with the work they're doing. Right. The second thing is you will become more commercial by default. You have to become more commercial if you're adopting a product mindset because you're required to start thinking about things in the terms of a marketer or in the terms of a product manager. People operations people, and this is something I talk about a lot whenever people ask me about my shift into being a chief operating officer rather than just working in people, people teams manage around 60% of a company's monthly bills, like their their overall spend in the P&L. 60% of that usually, sometimes more, goes into headcount, and then you have the HR budget on top of that. People teams have a huge commercial responsibility, massive. That commercial responsibility, I think, is kind of often under leveraged and like becoming more commercial, I think is really important. And hopefully this, this methodology allows you to do that. And the third thing I think, which is a nice thing is honestly, I think you're really teaching your people team skills that are super valuable in the future. Like this is not, people have been talking about the death of HR for God. I don't want to swear, but effing years, right? Like it's been the ongoing conversation like, oh, next year HR is going to be dead. I don't think that's the case. But I do think that having skills around like design principles and how to think about things iteratively and how to create metrics that are output focused, how to build technology-based solutions, like these are actual skills that are so much more valuable than how to create a mail merge or how to upload things to a HRIS. Right. You can do HR better. And I get that's always the conversation that, that comes into play with technology is, okay, what does this mean for the HR team, uh, for the HR professional within a workforce? And as we said, it, it opens up those opportunities to do it better, to have more of that human element, bring the human element that technology can't replace, but you can introduce 
again, technology and that tech mindset to really find efficiencies elsewhere and make for a more efficient product, which is ultimately the end goal um, and create that great customer experience for your employees. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. So again, for anybody out there listening who is interested in learning about this great philosophy that Jessica champions, check out her book, Built for People. Is there anywhere that uh, you could recommend our listeners going to, to learn more, either to engage with you or to learn more about Built for People? Yeah. My LinkedIn, Jessica Zwan, Z-W-A-A-N, or Z-W, sorry, I'm an American now, Z-W-A-A-N. You nailed it. Yeah. Come find me. I think I'm the only person with that name. Maybe not. And then in there, I've got a bunch of medium articles I post if you aren't sure about the book and you want to read some other stuff um, or just want to chat to me. I'm very, very open. Well, again, Jessica Zwan, HR thought leader, panelist, speaker, author, and chief operating officer at Whereby. A great walkthrough of that people-centric product management approach to people leadership. So, Jessica, before we let you go, I had some questions for you just about your personal experience. So what's something you've learned about yourself over the past year that you think has made you a better leader? Oh, you didn't add the better leader piece into the the brief that I had. I was going to be cheeky and keeping you on your toes. Cheeky and say something like, "I can't live without bagels" because I only moved to New York a year ago. Well, that's a great answer as well. <laughs> I think bagels have made me a better leader. I'll be honest, but which fuel you to then come into the office and be more energized exactly. and then be a better Dynamite. leader. Dynamite, dynamite. I think actually one of the the answer to this question, which is obviously off the cuff, given what I just just said. Um, being in New York and living here has really opened the creative side of my life, which I kind of had not really interacted with that much for the last couple of years, which sounds kind of grim, but I've been able to like go to Broadway and go to art galleries and do a bunch of interesting classes and just really experience a little more creative work. And I think allowing myself that time and really being invested in that actually has done such incredible things for the way that I solve problems and uh, just my general happiness, which is great for your team. So yeah, I think giving myself more, more time and space to be creative. That's great. Environmental change makes such an impact. We all learn that even working from home and a lot of us who have now gone remotely, it changes your approach to working, but moving to new cities and just embracing what's around you too and finding inspiration from that. It's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Jessica. What's one piece of professional advice that you've received along the way in your professional career that you've leaned on mm-hmm. that you could pay forward and share with our audience of HR professionals and people operations professionals? Yeah, I don't know exactly how, how it was phrased, but I have like the kind of general vibe of it. <laughs> Probably not that helpful, maybe. We can paraphrase. The paraphrase version. It all um, I used to report into the global head of finance uh, at Box. Um, his name's Hugh Slater. He's a brilliant guy. He's currently the chief operating officer of Travel Perk. Amazing leader. Brilliant, brilliant person. He encouraged me to be really curious about everything happening in the company. He really wanted to do a lot of cross-functional plannings as an ops team, a lot of cross-functional discussions about things. He was super transparent and clear about what was happening in the business. We were going through IPO at the time and what that meant. And I think that the advice kind of distilled out of that is to be curious about things beyond just the people team. I'm kind of a little shocked how frequently I meet very senior people leaders who if I say like, you know, what is your EBITDA? What's the highest reason for your customers churning off your product? They actually don't know the answers to those questions. And they're like, well, that's kind of a finance thing or that's a product thing or that's a marketing thing. But I think if you have a really good understanding of what's happening elsewhere in the business, you don't need to be, you know, sticking your nose into their day to day. You don't need to be like bothering them with things that they're doing a good job of and giving your opinions about things per se, but just being deeply curious and interested, like 
hmm, why is that happening? What are you working on? What's the biggest challenge right now? And not just what's your biggest people challenge, but like, what is your actual biggest challenge? What's facing you as a member of the team? You end up being able to make way better decisions because you have this huge range of context. Um, and also people trust you more. You can have better conversations about what's going on in their lives. Um, so yeah, I'd say be really curious, like aggressively curious into places that aren't people operations. It will do you really well. Know your business. Understand how your business works beyond just what your role is. I love that. Get out of that tunnel vision as well that we talked about earlier. Broaden that scope. Understand, again, the other components that rely on you in your operations, but just know how your business operates and what keeps it afloat. I think that's crucial. Yeah. Totally. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Jessica. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's been such a lovely conversation. I completely agree. Now, before we let you go, I have one more as a bonus question on here. And this is how we end all of our podcasts. And this question is built all around motivation. Mm. So you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing that gets you motivated to start the day? I just feel like I have a zest. I have like an internal zest that just keeps me going. I don't know. I, I love it. Have you read 4,000 Weeks, the Oliver, forget his name, book? I have not. You should. It's brilliant. Um, he talks about this idea of uh, time management when you only have 4,000 weeks to live on average, right, which is scarily short, terrifyingly short, and talks about the idea that, like, life is really just this, you'll never really capture it unless you're in the moment. You're never going to make something better in the future. You can't worrying about things and planning things. It's just thoughts. Like, you're just creating a thought for the future. Um, Reading that book is is a massive suggestion, but I think within like that, like I really, I genuinely do believe that I just love being alive. That sounds like such a corny answer. Sometimes they're corny because they're right on the nose. So I love that. And it's yours, Jessica. So you can't fault that. It's real. So again, thank you so much for sharing that. Jessica Zwan, HR thought leader, panelist, speaker, chief operating officer at Whereby, and again, author of Built for People. Thank you for joining the HR Works podcast. It was a pleasure getting to chat with you a bit learn about a product management approach to leading people teams. Really hope our audience enjoyed that, but I certainly enjoyed the conversation and hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.